Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 94, recorded on November 11th, 2020. The Cloud Pod, no code required. Good evening, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. How's it going this week? Good. Hi, everybody. Hey, going well. Hello, hello. No, we're only a few short weeks away from reInvent. So that means it's almost time to record predictions. So I'm putting you guys all on notice right now that next week we are recording predictions. So get your get your Reddit threads going, your Twitter streams going, however you get this information, bribe some Amazon employees, whatever you need to do to uh, get out your predictions for next week. Three each. Of course, we'll have a tiebreaker and we will have a, a bunch of uh, runner-up stuff that you'll get points for. But if you have extras than three, that's fine. Just keep those two. I've already started my document. It's already full of ideas that are all terrible, but uh, I'll work on it some more. I've already I've already queried out to Twitter to see if anyone has any ideas. No one's responded yet, so it's, I'm only I almost responded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I've been I've been excellent. So that is coming up very quickly. So we will uh, definitely do predictions. Uh, we will not be talking about things that we know that are NDA, unfortunately. So there's some stuff that we already know about that we can't talk about, but. Uh, Anything that's not NDA, uh, we will potentially have as a potential show note for our predictions. So we'll see. We could record those. Well, not, not record them. We could talk about them kind of behind the scenes. And then I'll, I'll say my prediction A, and you can say, yes, that was a great prediction. Well, so there's I also the technicality here that just because Jonathan, Ryan, and I know about something doesn't mean that Peter knows about it. So if Peter were to talk about it, and we can't give it to him, so he, if he has it on his own, we can't, we'll just let it go because it's all Peter's prediction. That's right. If I discovered can't. it via NDA, I can't share it. But who knows? Yeah, but if he if he just guesses it on the blue, we can't confirm or deny anything. But I might we'll just see. guess. You might just guess. I'm sure he's gonna go for uh, you know an egress proxy filtering solution because that's what he does every time. But uh, of course, until they announce it, unless he's third in line and someone else gets you to it, like in Ryan case, did last I time. Will steal it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, because it is reInvent in two weeks, Amazon is just dumping all kinds of stuff that doesn't make in keynotes. Andy Jassy is relentless. He has dumped stuff off the track, off the truck and said, that's not going to reInvent. Get it out there today. And so we have a wide selection of topics for you this evening. The first one up is uh, after our amazing Switzerland region announcement last week, where we enjoyed some lovely fondue, we are going back to India to a new Amazon region going to be built in 2022 in Hyderabad, meaning that I can get my favorite Indian food, which is biryani in the Amazon region very soon, which is native to the city of Hyderabad. That's where it comes from and is very delicious. As we the second region in India after the Mumbai region, which launched in June 2016, giving enterprises, public sector organizations, startups, and SMBs access to the state-of-the-art public cloud infrastructure. Uh, last May, they expanded Mumbai with a third AZ, and the new Hyderabad region will actually open with three AZs in 2022, making the second India and 11th in the Asia-Pacific region. DR, yay. We can do <laughs> DR. Yeah, consider they have offices in Delhi, Mumbai, Hyderabad, Bangalore, Pune, Chennai, and one other place that I have a spelling error on, I can't pronounce. <laughs> they uh, have quite a bit of things in India, so they need that DR capability just for Amazon to work there properly. So now all their customers get it too. I was always surprised how long this took just having, you know, a failover region in this in this re- specific region, in this area of the world, you know, having to go to, I think Singapore was the next closest, you know, like craziness. I mean, Ian talks about the fact there's only one region in Australia, yeah. which, which is a bit of a challenge too. So, all yeah, kinds they of, get out to Singapore too. So Singapore probably needs an upgrade any any minute now. 
they'll get their fourth availability zone. Yeah. Well, it's good to see more regions, except for I still want that U.S. region. Come on, U.S. region. <laughs> One more. <laughs> Southwest <laughs> region. Southwest. Vegas, not, Vegas. Not, Vegas or New Mexico. I'd even take Arizona. I think all three of those They're are great. They're not New Mexico. <laughs> well, there's, there's nothing there. I, I saw the maps from the election and Arizona is Reno and Nevada and a desert in the middle. And then New Mexico is very similar. So if you, yeah. there's a lot of space for regions and they have availability zones. That's all I see. Cheap there's land. just no infrastructure. You, that's the biggest problem with yeah, New Mexico. That's, that's, that is true. I mean, that, they can just go nuclear power, right? Just build Amazon nuclear power plants and call mm. it a day. There's and a bunch of hippies and solar panels. Maybe they could do that. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. You never know. I've never, I've not been to New Mexico. So that's, uh, that's where I'm from. I know you are. That's why I don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> that explains Smart some choice. things. Yeah. <laughs> In 2017, I was sort of excited when they announced the Amazon MQ for Apache ActiveMQ was launched. Now, ActiveMQ is not the message queuing solution of my choice. And so I whined immediately that they needed to have RabbitMQ, which is what I actually needed and used, which is the second most popular open source messaging broker. Although I think it's the first. They said I think it's the first. Article. And a critical component of many distributed applications. And so now, Active. MQ has a new friend with RabbitMQ now available all under the Amazon MQ brand. So when you go provision your MQ infrastructure, you can now choose between Rabbit and ActiveMQ. So yes, finally, only took three years. Three years of me whining. That's that's a record, I think. So many customers choose RabbitMQ for message brokers due to its feature richness, which is active community support and broad range of supported clients and frameworks. And address these needs, Amazon has the new service which is a managed messaging service that reduces the operational overhead for companies managing RabbitMQ message brokers. They'll handle all of your admin tasks, such as patching the operating system and the messaging software itself, which means there are still some sharp edges through RabbitMQ, so do keep those in mind as you make this migration. I also noticed that it does not have TLS support out of the box, but either does ActiveMQ. Neither one of them have a TLS, I saw, or any of the other things I would have expected to hopefully have with RabbitMQ. So hopefully those are my new whiny feature requests to go in. I mean, the real missed opportunity is that they didn't call it Amazon MQ with RabbitMQ compatibility. Because it, you know. it's not a compatibility thing. It is actually RabbitMQ. <laughs> it's just the open source version. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I'm surprised they launched anything without security support, though, without TLS. Yeah. You would That's kind of boring. on stage saying encrypt everything and then not supported. Well, managed services like this, like I don't... I don't know of a specific deal breaker, but if you're trying to do, you know, TLS authentication, I guess it would be the same as SSL certain websites. So, nah, nah, never mind. I kind of come to the conclusion that I think they do not launch with TLS for the exact reason that it keeps really big enterprises from using it day one. And so it's intentional. I think I think it's sort of intentional. I think it because it, it you know MSK without TLS for Kafka is is a non-starter for most enterprises or anybody who's security conscious. So you're already going to eliminate most of your major workloads that would come to the platform really quickly and overrun potentially your ability to scale or you're trying to learn. And so by announcing the feature without that security feature, I feel like it kind of gives you this ability to kind of test it with customers who maybe are just using a dev and QA. They're not ready for production. And since they don't recommend you go to production without encryption, they kind of keep those workloads away because they don't recommend it. And then when they're ready for more scale, then they go TLS and they do all the things that you want. Sneaky. That's my uh, conspiracy theory. I don't know if it's true, but... It makes sense. I mean, obviously, it's not a challenging feature to enable since they've done it on so many other services. 
and they have their own you know, security libraries and all the things to make it happen. So you would think it'd yeah. be trivial to do. But you'd also think trivial to do CloudFormation and many other MVP features that we wish they would launch on day one. Well, if you're using Spot instances, this new feature is for you. Amazon EC2 Autoscaling, EC2 Fleet, and Spot Fleets announce capacity rebalancing for EC2 Spot instances. Uh, this allows you to proactively manage the EC2 Spot instances lifecycle now using the new capacity rebalancing feature, which is a weird name for a feature which basically says before your instance dies, it'll start spinning up a new one. <laughs> and that way you get your capacity in place and running before they issue the two-minute spot interruption notice to your instance, uh, which is great and very helpful, but uh, not really not anything more complicated than that, which is why it's a little bit silly that they have a whole blog article about it. But, uh, you know, they're definitely excited. And it does solve one of the main problems with spot instances is if you're, you know, if your workload can't necessarily get shut down or needs to be shut down in a more graceful manner, or you want to be able to bring up a different type of instance in a fleet, this allows you to do that without having an interruption to your service first uh, before that happens. Now I need them to work on replacing the fleet by scaling one out and one in. That's what I need to make this fully, fully replace all, all of the workloads. Cause I can, I can pretty much handle the, this, you know, the interruption, especially now, you know, with, if I can launch an instance before typically getting the signal before the two minute termination notice, that is the last thing is being able to make rolling updates that will scale between the two. So pretty red. Thank you. Be careful what you wish for, though. As soon as everybody could easily use Spot for everything, the price of Spot goes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish you could just update your bid when they say, hey, you're going to shut down. You can say, oh, go on, let me just pay an extra five cents or something. Just, oh, just bid. B- I thought you bid, said yeah. beard. I was like, beard. <laughs> no? Really? <laughs> My beard? <laughs> yeah. well, I think, I think the yeah. problem it's a is, is that. Personal right? attack. Yeah. I mean, I think the challenge they run to in that is that the if your spot market price is a dollar and someone comes in and bids a dollar or five and they say yes, your bid is better and they're going to shut down your capacity to give it to them and they've already issued the spot, you know, how do they handle if you come in and say okay, I'll pay a dollar ten instead? Yeah, like, your bid is your max bid. If they've already if they've already given the other team to say yes, we're going to give you that instance of that price, they're kind of already committed to it now. Which is just spare capacity. You're just you know you don't want to over provision what you got. Well, a lot of times. If you notice, I mean, the bid price goes basically up to whatever the highest bid is plus one, because what happened was everything got taken with on demand. And so you're cruising along at a dollar because you were the highest bid. And then all of a sudden the bid price goes up to 20, but it's not really 20. That's just the top of the chart. I think it's, yeah, spot is no longer available. Uh, I actually been seeing that a little bit in Ohio recently because I've been using some C5As on spot instances there. And uh, I was seeing that you know, I couldn't get one in the A uh, availability zone at all. <laughs> and I get them in Bs and C just fine. And then all of a sudden today, I saw them all you know spike up in price as someone created more workload and I got kicked into my other fleet, which is on C5s, which was fine because that's why I have this. And I actually had enabled this capacity rebalancing feature. And so I had no interruption. It was quite nice. So save me today from an interruption on a service. So glad to see it. Cloud computing has changed the way we live, do business, and stay connected. With everyone using the same cloud platforms, winning and losing comes down to having the best talent to build products better and faster. So whether you're an aspiring innovator looking to level up or a business harnessing the transformative power of the cloud, tech skills and cloud certifications have never been more important. Cloud Academy has thousands of video courses, learning paths, practical hands-on labs in real-world cloud environments, and tools designed to help teams assess, build, and validate critical cloud skills. Most importantly, Cloud Academy stays agile, challenging you with new content, labs, and tons of features that ensure your skills stay relevant and everyone can level up. 
They cover everything from major certifications to DevOps, security and programming languages. Cloud Academy is the cloud training platform of choice for Fortune 500 companies and thousands of tech professionals around the world. Don't just take their word for it. Check out the reviews on G2 and get started now at cloudacademy.com. For a limited time, our listeners can lock in 50% off the monthly price for life. Just put in the coupon code CloudPod when checking out. It's a great way to pursue certifications or just cloud build expertise during this crazy time. Again, go to cloudacademy.com and use the coupon code CloudPod to lock in 50% off the monthly price. Last year at reInvent, they announced the virtual ingress feature, which allowed you to basically send packets from with a bump and a wire anywhere in your network to any device or ENI in your account. So this was perfect for teams that needed to do heavy-duty packet inspection, uh, potentially tear apart SSL, look at the packet payloads, make sure you're not sending data you're not supposed to send through these things. And that's a really big security use case. And so this is called the bump in the wire feature. And this was available last year, but it had a bunch of uh, limitations we talked about last year on the show, particularly around the fact that you couldn't really scale it. <laughs> so you have one bump in the wire going to one EC2 instance. And if you need, if you had more traffic coming through or you had more uh, data than you could process, then there's really no way to auto scale that and to really address it. And so it was a great, kind of day one feature. But again, it was one of those things like, how do you scale this? How do you make this really a production workload? And that was kind of our big question mark last year. Uh, well, this week, Amazon decided to help us out with that with by introducing the new AWS Gateway Load Balancer. This is the general availability of the Gateway Load Balancer, a service that makes it easy and cost-effective to deploy, scale, and manage the availability of third-party virtual appliances such as firewalls, intrusion detection, and prevention systems, and deep packet inspection systems in the cloud. And this builds on that VPC ingress routing feature I just talked about, which allow you to route all incoming and outgoing traffic to Internet Gateway or virtual private gateway. So this allows you to basically set up a fleet behind an ALB or an NLB that basically is then fronted with this GLB to, to basically handle all this traffic sending to your system uh, and allows you to basically scale out your large-scale uh, security infrastructure and inspection traffic so that you are now solved a pretty big use case for several workloads out there, especially in high-security environments and high-trust uh, this is going to be quite helpful. There's several launch partners available to this who already have this integrated in, including Aviatrix, Checkpoint, Cisco, CPacket, Fortinet, Glasnostic, NetScout, Palo Alto Networks, Radware, Trend Micro, and Veltix, uh, all available to you. This costs about a dollar, uh, point, uh, about a penny, a penny and a quarter per gateway load balancer hour. It does price at the same compute unit as the ALB. So to keep that in mind as you enable this, uh, but pretty nice to see. All those partners must have been begging for the, a feature like this for years. I mean, migrating away from the data center, losing the capacity to even sell to those customers. It must be, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and the other aspect, if you look at like how we did Palo Alto or other firewall appliances in the cloud prior, it was two appliances per VPC. And if you had this sprawling, you know, multi-account strategy, then you might need to buy hundreds of appliances to cover all of your egress, even though each one is at a very low volume. And this then would allow you to aggregate all that traffic through a single pair of devices. And so I mean, that short term, it would slash the current appliance revenue they're getting from existing customers who bucked up and paid for appliances in every VPC. But long term, I, I would agree. I mean, it's great because now customers aren't blocked by a license agreement from using Palo Alto or Cisco in the cloud, just because of that 
Yeah, I think it enables a lot of those use cases. And it, I think it's great for customers who are saying this is way too expensive to use these appliances, which will actually help sell more of these appliances. And yeah, you're right. For the customers who, you know, paid too much, maybe they can get some credits for some some services to help get this implemented. But, you know, I think overall, this is one of the big last pieces of a security, you know, ecosystem that were sort of a black box uh, that they really, security teams were kind of sad about not having in, in the cloud. So I think this is a great move. I think it also opens the door to things like egress filtering. <laughs> and other use cases that you know this will eventually power as a building block, maybe finally fulfilling Peter's dream. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and anyone out there who's currently paying for 50 firewall appliances, send a drop a note to the cloud pod and we'll help you get that down to paying for two. <laughs> for sure. Ryan, you got nothing on that one? It's one of the very first security questions I ever answered, you know, was how are we gonna use our typical data center, you know, security protection methods in in the cloud and the answer is you couldn't you know even the virtual the virtual appliances a lot of them had very severe network bandwidth limitations and so it was unless you did something like deploy a million of them you really couldn't get the throughput you needed so this is a huge thing and frankly you still can't get the throughput you need actually but now you can auto scale it at least so that you're not necessarily limited by that one device yeah no that's a good point yeah i mean it's you know i, I don't know like i'm not I'm for inspection, but I'm not for like, you know, inline enforcement of these things. Like you should be able to react quickly and be able to to filter traffic that you want, but also like the enforcement level of like routing everything through a Palo Alto seems like a failure waiting to happen. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is again not it, not enforcing. It doesn't block anything, which I think is where the next step would be, kind of an evolution for this. But yeah, it's it, it definitely gives you that visibility, which is really what the security teams really want at the end of the day. Is they want to know that there's something happening they can fix or prevent, or if it is happened, they want to know how it happened and where it happened at. And so I think this is a good good tool. Well, if you are using DynamoDB tables and you want to have a data lake and you don't know how to get there. Amazon has a new feature for you, which is the ability to export your DynamoDB table data to S3 with no code writing required. This new native feature of DynamoDB, so it works at any scale without having to manage servers or clusters and allows you to export data across AWS regions and accounts at any point in time in the last 35 days at a per second granularity. Plus, it doesn't affect the read capacity or availability of your production tables. You can ex- export it in either the DynamoDB JSON format or the Amazon Ion format, so you can query or reshape it with Athena, SageMaker, or AWS Lake Formation. The export process is serverless, and it scales automatically and is a lot faster than custom table scanning solutions you use today. The completion time depends on the size of your table and how uniform data is distributed in the table, but the majority of exports complete in under 30 minutes. You only pay for the gigabytes of data exported to S3, and of course, you do need to have the point-in-time recovery continuous backup solution available and configure for this, which you are also paying for. Uh, so if you have this capability and this need, this is pretty good. I actually like this a lot. A lot less lambda in the middle. A lot less lambda spackle. <laughs> it's lambda under the hood. <laughs> it's still there. We need more GUI. Yeah. It is sort of like an easy button to make something really expensive or at least twice as expensive as it currently is. So it's sort of, it is sort of a, a risk of these things, but that's not really a good governor of spend anyway. I, don't know, I guess I'm having a hard time seeing what the real use case for this is. I mean, GUI. It's GUI. <laughs> and then we'll do a Terraform provider for it so we can turn it into code for our no-code. Codify our no-code environment. That's what we need. We need a Terraform provider that actually goes and clicks things on the UI. Yeah. <laughs> like a Terraform <laughs> provider that launches uh, Selenium scripts? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go to this website. Yeah. Do this, do this terrible <laughs> thing. That sounds like a bad bastardization. Well, many, many reinvents ago, back when Peter first attended, I'm sure, 
they used to announce these amazing storage enhancements to the cloud because they were revolutionary. Things like EBS and S3 replication and, you know, EFS. And they were all exciting. And we were, you know, we used to be just amazed at all of them. And then over the years, we've gotten to the point now where we do more high value things at reInvent and we don't care about storage anymore. But Amazon still cares about storage just not at reInvent. So they have, last year they started the Amazon Storage Day 2019, and they have repeated again with the Amazon Storage Day 2020 with a full set of features across almost every storage family product, including S3, FSx for Luster, FSx for Windows File Server, EBS, EFS, Amazon Transfer Services for SFTP, FTPS, and FTP, AWS Data Sync, AWS Storage Gateway, AWS Backup, or a device in the AWS Snow family, uh, all getting all kinds of new fun toys for you to play with for Christmas. So first up is S3. S3 as a intelligent tiering storage, of course, uh, is their automatic way to move data between the different tiers of storage. Uh, that's always been limited to standard and then infrequent access and glacier. But now they're giving you the ability to go to deep archive and uh, archive access storage tiers. The archive access tier supports expedited one to five minute recoveries, standard three to five hour recoveries, and bulk five to 12 hour retrievals with an extra charge for each of those. With S3 intelligent tiering, delivers millisecond latency and high throughput for data that is accessed frequently, and now the lowest storage cost in the cloud for data that is not accessed for long periods of time, all the way down in that deep, deep archive, which is pretty fantastic for that feature. You don't want to have to do that on your own. Tiering should take no, care of that. No, it was kind of you. annoying that intelligent tiering didn't do it, actually. So I'm kind of glad to see this one come there. In addition to S3, features you can get is the ability to have your delete markers replicated to S3 instead of doing different lifecycle rules in different S3 buckets. And you can now monitor your replication progress on a rule-by-rule basis. Thank you, goodness. And then the S3 object ownership we talked about a, a few weeks ago is now available across all your regions. So that's S3. Uh, all good features there. I was particularly excited actually to see the, the, the new metrics around the status of replication, how many objects are still not being shipped to another region or another bucket, or how many bytes are remaining. So you can you can get the latency, a real time latency of your replication lag, which of course is important for meeting DR requirements. Yeah. Now, of course, the question is if if you have too much latency, what do you do to fix it? Because they don't really give you a lot of options to make it super fast. More buckets. More buckets. <laughs> More buckets. <laughs> uh, the next one up is. Amazon FSx for Luster, Peter's favorite service. You can now set, monitor, and enforce storage quotas on your Amazon FSx for Luster file system using the native Luster commands LFS set quota and LFS quota. That, that one, I guess, someone cares. I, it's just not me. <laughs> That's not me either. I wish I did. I wish I knew more about it, uh, but I don't. Next up is FSx for Windows File Server. You can now use a friendly DNS name, uh, allowing you to move applications and data to the cloud without making code or configuration changes, which is, oh, thank you goodness, <laughs> that was such a pain that you would basically have to map all of these file changes. It's actually a great use case for DR. There's quite a few things that this unlocks for you on the FSx for Windows file share capabilities, uh, which is nice. They also now support on the FSx for Windows ECS, uh, so you can now mount FSx for Windows for all your ECS Windows containers. Uh, so they run stateful workloads, content management systems, and other applications that require that persistent storage. Those Windows workloads are coming, Ryan, to your container house near you. Yeah, I know. There's a, there's a lot of people out there running their own Windows file servers on EC2. So I could imagine this doesn't sound super sexy, but a lot of people are getting more and more excited every time. The blocking feature that wasn't there gets announced. They're like, yes, I get to retire my own self-managed file system it's so much fun to run your own uh your own file system isn't it <laughs> no. no fun it's no fun uh, okay fine 
Uh, well, <laughs> if, if you are running your own file system, you might be using EBS, and you may be using the cold storage option or the SC1 volume type, which is the lowest cost magnetic storage available to you for large sequential cold data workloads. And if you're using those, you now get a 40% price cut effective on November 9th, 2020. If you want those magnetic disks, you can get them for even less money as they uh, you know, basically rust away into nothingness in the data center because they're magnetic. You can also now use the Amazon Data Lifecycle Manager to manage the lifecycle of your AMI and the EBS snapshots associated with them. The AMI lifecycle policies that you create can select target instances for AMI creation, set scheduled for creation and retention, copy newly created AMIs to other regions, and share them with other AWS accounts and even add tags to the AMI and the snapshots all through the Lifecycle Manager, which is great because if you're using any of the instance uh, factory stuff that Amazon's released, there is no lifecycling. It just creates millions of AMIs. I didn't know that you could copy the tags using Lifecycle as well. I, this is how I have an idea for a feature enhancement of a thing because that's always a giant pain is which which AMI do I use from the shared account? Like can't look it up except for by name so that you end up with these crazily overloaded names for AMIs. I'm trying to count the hundreds or thousands of lines of Python code that we could retire. Mm-hmm. Well, if you listened to the show a few weeks ago, I might have mentioned about EFS and how I wish that EFS was just automatically mounted to my volumes or to my EC2 hosts. And so now you can do that with the EC2 launch wizard integration to EFS if you want to do it through a wizard, which, hey, baby steps. Once you add the EFS through the launch wizard, it will automatically mount it to the instance on launch and be available to you without having to do anything special. So that's a pretty nice feature, actually. Is it only available through the wizard? Per this announcement, yes. I suspect that it's, you know, there'd be something you can maybe pass as a user in it thing in the future. But right now, it's only available through the wizard because the wizard knows how to link them together. Interesting. Oracle had this first, right? I remember they when did. Justin, Justin they, did a thing. It was like... Yeah. Ice goes yeah. the attachment with auto mounts. That's right. <laughs> yep. Seems so uh, simple. And so a first. Simple. <laughs> and a first. The AWS transfer family, which is FTP, SFTP, and FTPS, because we had to support all of them, you can now leverage shared VPCs for these. Uh, so now you can save money, increase security, and increase the scalability of your FTP. So instead of having one of these per account, you now create them into a, a shared VPC and share them across multiple accounts, uh, which maybe would you want to do with this very unsecure protocol. Uh, just make it more available to all your accounts. That just seems like a great plan. Mm, I don't know. Like, is I'm still years later dealing with the fallout from our POC for shared VPCs. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, honestly, I thought that they just went away. I thought I thought they yeah. just quietly went away. I didn't know they're, they're still, still there. Around. They're still out there. Yeah. No one's using them, but they're still there. It yeah. makes sense. It's just other than the fact they didn't work. Right? They have rough edge. They have really sharp yeah, edges. Yeah, the, the idea seems solid. Im- implementation was lacking. That's the best I can say. Was it, when did they actually announce that? Was that last reInvent they announced shared VPCs? It hasn't been that long. God, I feel like it's two. No, it's, it's at least. Two VPCs yeah, ago. I, don't, I think two it VPCs. might have been two, two, VPCs, two, reinvents, two reinvents ago. ago. Yeah, that was a while. To the Google. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great until somebody shared a VPC with you or shared subnets with you, which matched names of your existing things and all your automation breaks when you try and find subnet names or something else seems like a good phishing exercise too just share vpcs with many <laughs> account, <laughs> yeah. account numbers. yeah so you guys are both correct it was december 4th 2018 they announced this feature so there you go your memory is better than mine so for the phishing thing you do have to do resource access manager at the organization level in order to enable shared vpcs uh, so you can really only hurt yourself i can do that yeah 
<laughs> for those of you who have tried to use AWS data sync like I have, you've quickly realized that it requires a server in the middle to basically run this agent that basically connects to one thing to another thing. And you realize it's just a big pain. Uh, that's now been removed with the ability to now fully automate data transfers between data sets stored in Amazon S3, Amazon EFS, or Amazon FSX for Windows file servers without deploying data sync agents. Uh, you can also now limit the amount of network bandwidth using your data sync at a per task level, allowing you to govern the amount of bandwidth consumed so you don't tip over all of your internet circuits in the process. So that's actually really nice. Glad to see this. This does work across on-prem and in the cloud. So you can now use data sync to connect and synchronize your data, which I could have used in a project as well recently. Uh, so I'm glad to see this one is now available without a server in the middle, which was just a pain. So Amazon Snow Family now has the ability to import virtual machine images in raw disk image format as AMIs into the Snowball Edge storage optimized and Snowball Edge compute optimized devices where they are on site and deployed, uh, which is one thing that when I played with the uh, last Snowball device, I learned if you don't put the image on the box before it gets shipped, you won't have it <laughs> uh, on premise. So, so you only have that one image. This now fixes that uh, limitation. So now if you forgot to put on the Linux box you needed, you can now do that uh, when it's on site versus sending it back and getting a new one shipped to you with the correct AMI installed. This allows you to make changes in minutes without having to order and wait, like I just mentioned. Uh, you can also now import Windows 2012 and Windows 2016 images and use them on the Snowball device as well. So uh, lots of options now for your Snowball needs. And for those of you who have a love affair with tapes, the AWS Storage Gateway has several updates to you for both the Tape Gateway and the Volume Gateway, with local storage caches up to as large as 64 terabytes now, which is four times larger than the previous limit. This will allow you to keep more data local on-premise before going to the cloud to pull that data. Uh, you can now schedule the maximum amount of network bandwidth you want to use for your Tape Gateways, as well as file gateways can now trigger Amazon CloudWatch or Amazon EventBridge notifications that you can use to initiate your automation workloads. And now they also support access-based enumeration, enabling you to support users that can only see certain SMB file shares, folders, and files on the file gateway. So that's a great integration to your AD and all your other user population systems. Nothing says sophisticated automation workflows like a tape gateway. Yes. <laughs> Virtual. <laughs> tape images, Virtual. <laughs> well, to be, to be fair, if you need to restore something that, that was yesterday's backup, you don't want to have to download 60 terabytes of, of stuff just to pull out one file. It's nice having a local copy that you can get to quickly. But it's like delete everything, but keep copies, whatever. It's, it sounds expensive. <laughs> Could be. Well, I mean, although that local storage is on your device at, at the office. So, you know, you're, you're paying for that in CapEx, not in OpEx. So you know, it's expensive. They also require lots of refreshing of the cache, the local cache, and lots of rebooting for some reason. And then last but not least, uh, you can now use AWS Backup to manage your FSX Luster and Windows file system drives. So FSX now is supported by AWS Backup, which uh, was one of the last ones, I think. So I think now AWS Backup covers all of the storage capabilities of Amazon, which is great. I think they're missing a couple if we're talking about AWS. Well, I guess it's not AWS, but shouldn't they have added for Storage Day 2020 a couple more? Maybe PVS, Pandemic Virus Storage, maybe <laughs> we can... <laughs> we can add our, our COVID or maybe, I mean, maybe these are reinvent predictions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you should be saving these in your back pocket. I, I do no. wish you to use these. They're ridiculous. That, that help they're absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, what about, what about FVS fraudulent vote storage? So Trump has somewhere to, to stick all of his alleged fraudulent votes and can take them to court. Nice. Mm, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. So 2020 uh, baby. You're off the product team for storage. <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. 
These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, uh, even though Amazon is just just dropping features left and right onto the world, which is great, it's like candy every day, GCP is also busy <laughs> doing what they do best, which is uh, supporting PostgreSQL 13 with Cloud SQL. The new version of Cloud SQL Postgres 13 supports all of the great new features of Postgres 13, including enhanced partitioning capabilities, increased index and vacuum efficiency, and better extended monitoring. As well as it has a new way to do incremental sorting, efficient hash aggregation, and B-tree index space improvements. Ooh, 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 love those B-trees. As well as now fully integrated into IAM database authentication for enhanced security, audit logging, and point-in-time recovery. I'm still laughing over that, you know, what GCP does best is support Postgres SQL 13. Like, I think, I think you may have alienated some people there. <laughs> I mean, their, their Cloud SQL only supports SQL Server, Postgres SQL 13, and then their own version of, of Spanner, right? That's all it is. Yeah, it's true. I think MySQL too. But there's not a lot there. And the next story, Google announces deprecation of Postgres 13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you see they, uh, they finally killed Google Music, which made a lot of people angry, and then they are now killing the free storage tier on uh, Google Photos which I actually don't mind because I get a lot of value out of Google Photos and I don't mind paying for it, but there's a lot of people angry about that too. So, and then they, they killed something else this week too. And then everyone was really mad about their new icons for the G Suite products. They gave all new icons that people don't like. Yeah, so. I dislike the icons. I dislike change. Somebody right now, somebody <laughs> in the marketing creative design department is sobbing in their room right now with their spouse trying to console them. I hope you feel good about that. I feel that way every time they change logos, right? Like every every time a company is like, we're doing this huge, mas- massive rebranding effort, and they announce this, you know, blog post with, you know, we really wanted to capture the youthfulness of our brand with a redesign of our Airbnb logo into this A, and we brought it to the world, and we thought it was good. And it's like really, like you guys spend a lot more time working on this blog post than you did on the brand. <laughs> and people people pay millions and millions of dollars to have these design agencies come up with these new logos. It's amazing. And there's nothing that makes me feel like an old curmudgeonly system admin and someone changing all the logos because <laughs> I'm just like, why would you do that? It's I all can't find pastel yeah. fuzziness. <laughs> You're like flipping through your phone, just back and forth yeah. looking like, I can't find my, where did my, where is my app? Why? Oh, it yeah. looks different. Yeah. Especially when they change the colors. Like you're looking for a red icon and they change it to a blue icon. That's the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cardinal sin. All right. Well, Google has been releasing a ton of features in the document AI capability from things we talked about last week around the procurement doc AI and the lending doc AI. And to simplify this, they've now moved this all into a unified console for all document AI platform tasks. This unified console makes it easier than ever before to help businesses use AI and machine learning to automate the process of transforming documents into structured data. Who knew that this would be the computer science challenge of the 2020s. <laughs> it's just converting converting text on paper back into digital format, considering most of it was printed by a computer to begin with. The Document AI platform is available in preview, enabling you to ensure your data is accurate and compliant, make better business decisions, and use your data to meet your customer expectations. So there you go. Document AI into the platform. All right. 
as someone who hates data entry, like I'm, I'm all for these, these solutions. Cause it is sort of like, this is the most impact I'm going to get out of like AI and machine learning for sure. Like take all this crap that I don't want, you know, in physical form and digitize it, put it somewhere, hopefully classify it. What about all those data entry jobs that you're killing with your technology? Well, the, the story is that they all get better jobs, though. We They're all machine like, learning experts right yeah, now. Yeah, we retrain them to do something mm-hmm. else. It's interesting, though, because OCR was one of the very first applications of neural networks back in the early 80s. Yeah. It's, it's still at the forefront of people's needs. Yeah, and back when Google was just in Google Search, they're right. They Remember they put together that huge like thing, that big like pod where you sit in and someone can scan documents and... It was like it was, a, it was a big deal. Yeah, it, was like, it, was, it wasn't something like Gutenberg or something like that, where they were scanning all of yeah. the world's texts, and so you could go look at them and all that. And they got sued yeah. <laughs> for scanning copyright content. Yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds exactly like Google in the early days. I'm not copying it, I'm just making a reasonable <laughs> facsimile and retaining it for my own use. One of my you know series of jobs in my twenties that you know before I figured out that I wanted to do anything real was, you know, working for a law firm in discovery. And all they do is take warehouses of documents from companies and just scan them in one at a time. Yeah. And they'll pay, they'll pay some young kid to sit around and listen, listen to thrash metal and do that. Not very well. (laughs) The other side of that is that you, uh, that's where captchas came from. Was was Google having all these <laughs> yeah. all this text they couldn't decipher? And they're like, "Hey, we could use this in a way to make the machine learning model better." Oh, just like Google Photos. So once once they've got the use out of the data you've given them for free, they start charging for they're it. Now charging me yeah. for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> luckily, luckily, uh, you know, none of their employees let Google be used for nefarious government purposes, so, and they protest every time. So it's, it's all fine. <laughs> it's an interesting trend of changes from Google. Actually, I mean, they've recently, if you use Google Drive, you'll notice that they've started to delete things from the trash automatically after thirty days, whereas previously they'd stay there indefinitely until you emptied the trash. And now they're charging for things like photo storage, which is obviously quite high high use of the disks or whatever. I, mean, I kind of wonder if they're if they're trying to cut costs given the, the year they've had so far i don't know if it's cut costs maybe it's just you know someone looking at the costs and trying to squeeze the value out everywhere they can yeah. i mean when you keep everything forever it becomes an issue at some point i mean i, I think there's two two pieces to it i think one is cost which is definitely a factor i think the second is data privacy is becoming a much bigger deal and so if they can basically start deleting your data now then they can start saying oh we don't have that data for more than so long and then the data privacy, people get much happier because that data isn't being retained unless you pay them to retain it. And so that's what they want out of that, I think. Yeah. And if it's your data and you get sued, you could be like, oh, sorry, I don't have it anymore. Google deleted it. Yeah. There you go. That's a very good point. Like the data privacy is changing a lot. You know, disk got super cheap, so just stored around forever. But now now there's liability. And and, and, the, and you store it around forever because you can monetize it. But if you can't monetize it because of data privacy, it's no longer as valuable. It's now a cost that you have to eat. So... Uh, less valuable. GCP has announced some new healthcare capabilities, especially with COVID-19, has shown them that some of the challenges around managing healthcare data and interpreting unstructured digital text. For healthcare professionals, the process of reviewing and writing medical documents is incredibly labor-intensive. Lack of intelligent, simple tools create a data-capturing errors, a diminishing patient-doctor experience, and physician burnout. And so Google is launching a public preview of suite of fully managed AI tools designed to solve medical challenges with the Healthcare Natural Language API and the AutoML Entity Extraction for Healthcare. These tools help professionals with their review and analysis of medical documents in a repeatable, scalable way. AI technology and ML, healthcare and mortgage processing seem to be the two hot button areas for that particular business unit. Well, it's just walls of text 
you know, all those forms, like makes sense. You know, you extract the usable data out of here because I'm not going to read 27 pages of boilerplate that just says I won't sue in cases of gross negligence. Google have actually been uh, criticized quite severely recently for publishing papers based on data they've uh, run through their machine learning things. Basically, they're being accused of not actually contributing anything back to the science because all they're doing is pimping their own tools. There's no way that any of the the papers they publish are reproducible by anybody else. They use proprietary tools. They don't publish their algorithms. They don't publish the data sets. So really, uh, all, all they're doing is kind of using what used to be scientific peer review as just a way to sell their own products. Smart. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's smart, but it is sort of, you know, it's a borderline nefarious. It's the wrong medium for sure. Taking a, a commercial break here for Jonathan to look at his window. <laughs> for Azure, now you have the ability to monitor application insights for Java with the new 3.0 version. The new 3.0 version makes it much easier to instrument your application because it does it automatically for you. Java apps on VMs, on-premises, and AKS or Windows Linux all support the Java 3.0 agent and will monitor your app without having to change your code. Some of the most popular Java libraries or frameworks are covered in the Java 3.0 agent, including gRPC, NetEU, and WebFlux, JMS, Kafka, Cassandra, and MongoDB. But I did not see document DB with MongoDB compatibility, so sorry about that. Damn it. Mm. That's pretty cool, though. I mean, how, how it, obvious evolution is just to plug these things into all the platforms people always use and make it super easy. Back in May, we talked about Azure expanding their partnership with the Redis Labs uh, and their desire to bring Redis enterprise capabilities to Azure. That has now happened. With a large amount of interest, apparently from Azure customers after that announcement, they are pleased to announce that Redis Enterprise on Azure is now available. There are two tiers to this new solution, including Enterprise and Enterprise Flash, and adds many features now in preview that are useful to enterprise customers, such as zone redundant replication with improved availability to 99.99%. Ooh. <laughs> Redis on Flash, enabling 10 times larger cache size on NVMe Flash storage. And Redis enterprise modules, including Redis Search, Redis Bloom, and Redis Time Series, as well as latest versions of open source Redis 6 and private link network isolation and TLS activity. Hey, hey, Amazon, TLS activity. You hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Day yeah. one. Day one. There you go. All available to you. If you're excited about Redis Enterprise on Azure, it's now available to you. The uh, Azure Firewall now supports new enhanced DNS features, custom DNS, DNS proxies, and fully qualified domain filtering and network rules for non-HTTP and HTTPS and non-MS SQL protocols in Azure Firewall is now generally available. Finally. Custom DNS support is generally available, nice. <laughs> which allows you to configure Azure Firewall to use your own DNS servers while ensuring the firewall outbound dependencies are still resolved with Azure DNS. You may configure a single DNS server or multiple servers in Azure Firewall. The DNS proxy, which allows Azure Firewall to process and forward DNS queries from virtual networks to your desired DNS server, which is crucial and required to have reliable, fully qualified domain filtering and networking rules, which brings us to fully qualified domain filtering and network rules is now available, allowing you to specify a DNS name and network rules versus IP addresses. The firewall will automatically translate the fully qualified domain name to an IP address based on your DNS settings. And Azure Private Link also now supports private DNS servers to provide that DNS resolution. So that is fantastic. That so is the same DLD. reason. Yeah. <laughs> so that the is. same reason that we get excited about this feature is the same reason why we don't like the icons changing. <laughs> like this is this is you know as as you know low level and 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 sort of boring as you get. And like I could use the crap out of this. Not if you That's want awesome. high trust certification. You want high trust certification. You got to minimum be able to do domain based whitelisting on the way out the door. And now you can do it on Azure. And we still have to build. Auto scaling groups with auto scaling egress proxies 
for egress traffic and people have to point at the the proxy server. So this is awesome. Oh, don't misunderstand me. I can't wait. <laughs> like this is exciting. Just, this is exciting. I find it funny. It is. It is pretty funny. I guess Amazon could do it now by sticking using their uh, gateway load balancer in front of a Palo Alto. Well, now it's a Me Too feature when Amazon does finally announce this. Right? It is. But then yeah. those are few and far between. That's right. So that's kind of cool. Well, that is it from Azure and Google and AWS. Peter, you want to take us to the lightning round? First, do you want me to cover the Oracle announcements for this week? Sure. Just <laughs> yeah, what's, what's going on in Oracle world? Wasn't there an Oracle exec who just moved to AWS? A sales executive or somebody else? I mean, that was in the news this week? No, one, no one really cared about sales executives or marketing executives we talked about last time. So I'm just not going to talk about that anymore. Uh, it's always fun when somebody sues somebody, though. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, I'll there's just a wait lawsuit. For the lawsuit I'm talking about that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like just yeah. move someone moving from point A to point B. Like, eh, salespeople move all the time. I don't care. You know, Cole McCarthy quits Amazon in a rage and goes to Google. We'll talk about that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, although I did just see he got moved, uh, he's apparently he mentioned on Twitter that he's been moved over to the IAM team, which I am kind of super excited to see what he's going to do in IAM because. Yeah, I think as IAM has oh, added yeah. more and more features, it's gotten more and more complicated. And if Colm's on the job to make it simpler or to kind of streamline it, I think that's going to be some impressive improvements maybe next time next year. Coming attractions. Or what did he do wrong, I think. is. Or what did he it. do wrong? Yeah, maybe he got, pun- yeah. maybe he got some made <laughs> mad. Sometimes. I don't know. Lightning round. Amazon Fraud Detector launches the ability to delete additional resource types in the AWS console and via the SDK. I mean, if it detected it was fraud, it should have prevented it from getting in there to begin with. I think the fraud is that, you know, Justin's ahead by so many points. I don't think there's Ooh, any I mean, I mean, you go the Trump argument, the they're bow. fake votes. Fake votes. <laughs> <laughs> I hacked the Dominion voting system and now I've uh, got 15 wins over your six. <laughs> Amazon Translate allows users to specify a part of the text to not be translated, i.e. do not translate. Or you could just not give the text you don't want them to translate to them to begin with. Because they take just as long to mark the section you don't want translated as just to cut it out. I wonder who asked for this feature. It's probably somebody with, with, a, with a weird name which translates to something incredibly offensive in another language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I wonder if you can like stream this, if it's sort of like one of those things where, you know, if you're, you're doing streaming translations on the fly, you can sort of detect a pattern and, and mark it. But it is sort of interesting. Like, how would this work? I was just thinking, like, if you actually wanted the term to stay in the original language, but you want all of the output to just end up as the final document. Like, imagine a translation document where you want half of it translated and half of it not translated. Or I don't want the Latin part of it translated because I'm talking about, you know, is, yeah. is really, is really I a only speak Spanish feature. No, this makes that I like the simple answer there. I think you're right. I think this is like how many brand names are really just, you know, another word in a different language, like Ariba. You know, if you translate that, I could write, you, how did, like, I could write a Spanish to English translation dictionary. <laughs> I'm just thinking, even if I only speak one of the two languages. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Peter should win the lightning round this time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Connect has just reduced its 44th telephony rate this year. Just giving Gartner 44 reasons why they think the price cuts that don't matter to you. Yeah, yeah, because Gartner counts. That's why. <laughs> Amazon Elasticsearch service now supports defining a custom name for your domain endpoint. 
I mean, thank goodness I can now call it gosh darn Elasticsearch dot site dot com <laughs> in much more explosive letters and words. <laughs> that's that's funny. I was reading it uh, like a tech radar or one of those other articles about how Elasticsearch is is the uh, the vector for so much data loss on the internet, and I'm just thinking. How is that possible when it continues to fall over anyway? How much data can you get out of a system like that? <laughs> I mean, this will make it easier to find it because now everyone's just going to name it Elasticsearch.mysite.com versus yeah, you know, right. random characters. So maybe more data loss when it is up and running. Speaking of which, the first initial in the first letter of custom is C. Didn't we used to do this with something called a C name record? <laughs> I mean, doesn't work yep. for TLS though. Well, there you yeah. go. TLS See, is that's why. Subject alternative names. That's why Jonathan makes the big box. Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports database mail. I mean, I'm super excited when RDS gets features from 1998 from SQL Server. Yeah, yeah those 1980s DBAs will be super happy. You know, I like to see Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports Lambda functions or, C- or S3 natively or any of the other things that I would like it actually to do. No, it'll send an email, though, when the queries are slow. That's cool. I did just unsubscribe from our uh, database services distribution <laughs> list. It gets it gets email notifications from every single one of our many many hundreds of SQL servers. That's I think the only it was up to about twenty six thousand messages a day. It's monitoring Dunsies. It's the only way that databases actually communicate with database administrators is through email. That's why it has to be that way. And failure. AWS Client VPN announces self service portal to download VPN profiles and desktop applications. Ruining my excuse of I can't get onto the VPN because it's in my email and I can't get on my email because I can't get on the VPN. And now I'm sad because I have to work again. Darn it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I had an excuse. Amazon Polly launches a British English newscaster speaking style. Jonathan. And in other news, (laughs) (laughs) tonight on the BBC, we bring you Amazon news. (laughs) Yes. Uh, that's going to be funny to listen to. It's going to be my default voice for anything, Polly, from now on. I can tell you that much right now. Oh, for sure. Maybe I can replace myself on the show one of these times. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Maybe one of your absences, you can just replace got, yeah, yourself. I was just, I was just scheming. <laughs> you now can export your DynamoDB table data to your data lake in Amazon S3 to perform analytics at any scale. What, wait, was this a main show topic? It was a total main show topic, except on the main <laughs> show topic, for some reason, we said with no code. Oh, that's right, with no code, because it was never, there were two different articles, because Amazon likes to double dip in their data lake. Yeah. Ooh. Just like they want to charge you twice, so you can export your DynamoDB table to S3. Double dipping in the data lake. I like it. Oh, that would have been a great show title. We can bring <laughs> <you> that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility adds support for MongoDB 4.0 and transactions. You know, now it's MongoDB 4. Do you have to now say with MongoDB 4.0 compatibility? I mean, is that another new rule? And then, isn't the whole point of SQL Server or NoSQL to have no transactions? So, have we come full circle? Is this just SQL Server, but called MongoSQL? Yes, MongoSQL. Everything is going back to SQL because SQL was brilliant. Yep. AWS Database Migration Service now supports Amazon Document DB with MongoDB 4.0 compatibility as a target. <laughs> there you go, Peter. I appreciate that. Thank you. I like that clarification. Oh, I just remembered. I've been waiting for this release to solve a problem. <laughs> <laughs> really? You're like, no, really, I am? <laughs> yeah, not, not a really. joke. I am. <laughs> 
AWS Snowball Edge now supports Windows operating systems. Is that because it's going to be a cold day in hell before it supports Windows? Nah, and so now you can that's it. It made it. Yeah, no, I mean, it would stretch. So terrible. You knew it wasn't going to be good the minute I put my initials down. Yeah, exactly. You're better <laughs> off the cuff. Archive and replay events with Amazon Event Bridge. I mean, the whole point of events is that we put it onto Kafka, right? So why do I need EventBridge to do this? Now you can replay your 3 a.m. outages at any time of day. Nice. <laughs> Get, yeah, move those, move those forward. But can we replay that? Prime time. IP multicast on AWS Transit Gateway is now available in major AWS regions worldwide. So you can now take your entire multi-region support and high availability solution and now make it broken with IP multicast. Great. Yeah. Thank you for that. If multicast still isn't supporting the VPC, though. What a weird feature. I was just going to ask, did I miss that they started supporting multicast I, and VPCs? Not that I'm aware of. So we could, so just like in the gateway itself, it's like we could somehow do something with multicast. I wonder what this powers, yeah. There's got to be something. Mm. Hmm. If they ever support a multicast on the VPC, that they would single-handedly revitalize JBoss in some terrible way. Totally. And so I, as long as they keep the multicast out of the VPC, we're fine. I think it's specifically for video streaming or sharing streams of live data with lots of different consumers. But how do you get it out of the VPC and into the transit gateway? You have to define custom endpoints. It's not like you can't, you can't just launch it onto the network. You have to actually cr create the, the streams and subscribe to them. Wow. Put it in my VPC, damn it. That was one of my meetings for the uh, EC2 guys at reInvent last year. Yeah. They're like, multicast <laughs> support? No, no, not that multicast support. Like, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapping it up, there is a new integration for CloudWatch Alarms and Ops Center. Just one more place I can ignore the alert form. Damn it. <laughs> of course what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that'll wrap it up for lightning round. I think the winner today has to be the double dip. And hopefully we can somehow get a uh, Seinfeld episode in with the, uh, <laughs> the double dip in the, at the party. So again, I, I will remind the three of you that next week is prediction show for reInvent and that if you try to wait till the last minute, it's going to be awkward. So just do your homework, which I know you guys don't do, and hopefully we'll have a great show next week. <laughs> yeah, for those listening at home, he's made the same warning like five years in a row. We never do it. Never do it. <laughs> Are we going to clarify the rules on the keynote stage only? Or? It'll have to be an Andy Jassy or Warner Vogels, either pre-recorded or live stream. Andy said it's going to be live, so I don't know if that's actually true, but that's what he said. So it will have to be in one of those, and it has to be something that isn't already announced. So it can't just be like, we just talked about these storage things. You can't talk about the EBS things on mainstay. It doesn't count. It's already been announced. I mean, I recall you winning on some very vague things last time. Like, I think they're going to mention the enterprise. Spe yes. Specific this time. That was the Google one. I mean, you can still go with, but it has to be, it can be general, but specifically general. So like uh, one of the ones I was toying with was that maybe I, you know, cause one of the rumors of course that's out there is that hybrid cloud is going to be a big deal this year at reInvent. It's all over the Twitter. So I'm going to talk about it from the rumors perspective. So I could say, you know, I think Andy's going to release three new features for multi-cloud, you know, three new multi-cloud capabilities. Like that would be, no, I think, a legitimate I answer. I, I, think, I disagree. I think, I think you have to pick the feature and it should be a long shot that any of us get even one point. And if we do, yeah, we should it, celebrate. But I mean, like, what I'm if they announced four that, new features for multi-cloud? Then I would lose because like I said win? three. 
I would say uh, I said three. Exactly. Unless I said three. three or more. If I said three or more, then I would win. But yeah, if I just said three, Price is Right. I rules, like specifics. I like going out on a limb, calling something like. I, mean, I do too, but I mean, I, that's why I wasn't going to go with it. That's why I use it as an example for you guys. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's saving the good stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I got a, I got a whole doc here on my desktop. I got nothing except for egress layer seven egress. So <laughs> yeah. Unless you're unless you're the third roll and Ryan steals it from you, so just uh, things, things happen. <laughs> you know what? Anybody who wants to steal it wants to lose because I've been losing on that one for years. <laughs> he did he did steal it once for I think it was I stole it once, but it was when Peter wasn't around. How'd that so work? I, was, I was representing and I lost. <laughs> and you lost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then our plan is that after Warner Vogel's keynote, which I don't know which day it is in the mix, we will uh, do a live stream of our result show from our, our recording system here. We'll stream it live to Twitch. And so we will advertise that on the Twitter. So if you're following the CloudPod one or one of the hosts, uh, they will retweet when that's going to happen. But uh, the plan is that we're going to have a chat room and you'll be able to watch us do the show live, which would be fascinating because we screw it up all the time. And you guys never know about because we edit it in so post. Bad. So yeah, so you guys are all going to see the, the joy of uh, our recording. But uh, you guys will be able to live stream it because uh, everyone will be excited about reInvent and all the reInvent magic that's going to happen that week. That means we got to think about what we wear. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, look at look at me right now. I don't. There's no way. I'm going to have to like brush my hair. I mean, the avatars that sort of turn our faces into dinosaurs and things like that. That's a good call. <laughs> yeah, you can do that I too. Have snap camera. Snap yeah. camera it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to be a potato. It's a time of year. I love I love reinvent time. It's uh, it's so much fun. So I'm uh, looking forward to it. No, I'm excited for the viewers to really understand the magic that Jonathan does behind the scenes, making us exactly. All we actually <laughs> are. You thought it was bad when you listened to it. You should have heard it when we first recorded it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oof, it's rough. <laughs> All right. So we will start uh, having that on the on the CloudPod uh, stuff. We'll start talking about it, our live recap show from reInvent. And that'd be fun to see how we did on the the lovely world of predictions, which we have done really badly this year. I don't think we any of us have scored a single point. So this is anyone's game because we have completely missed the mark of COVID version event keynotes because they are pretty bad. Uh, so I'm actually a little bit excited that Andy said it's, his is going to be live. So I am, I am sort of pimped about that. It's gonna be I just had an idea. I am going to add for every point somebody gets in there. I'm going to add it to their lightning round score. Ooh, that's Ooh. a good call. Yeah, but you only get a maximum of three points, but that's fine. Let's gamble. Let's get. Uh, we have to get ten points each. You can gamble on on your on your uh, yeah. new things. Oh, oh, like yeah. a, like Jeopardy. Like you're gonna. <laughs> yeah. You know, the yeah. final answer. I'm gonna bet all of my money on these exactly. three points. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna just stick where I'm at. I think. I'm just yeah, to, yeah. That's the problem with Jeopardy rules is that when you got to run away, winner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they bid through. All right, you guys. Let's go another fantastic week here in the cloud. See you next week. All right. See you. And that is the week in cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign up instructions. Mm-hmm.